0: We're going to look at the scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses, we're going to look at the chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 for us here. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, Rebuke, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Oh, Lord God, we pray that your word would speak its truth into our lives today, Lord, so that we would know about it, but Lord, even more so, that it would change us and we'd be transformed through Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit, through your word we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've got some some scenes here. If we look up there, the big lake, who knows what lake this is? Superior, right, you guys are smart, that's right, Lake Superior, well, how about this one? This one's a little harder. Anyone know what that one is? It's in California. No, it's, it's this one is the Salton Sea. It's, it, it doesn't come out quite as, but that's kind of salt and briny and stuff like that. And so, has anyone been to the Salton Sea? Anyone smelled the Salton Sea? Well, what, what happened? The Salton Sea was formed... In 1905 to 1907 when they were working on the Colorado River and the diversion kind of process had broke down and so the river was uncontrolled for two years and it flowed into this depression in the desert in California it salt and Sea. That's what it became until they got the Colorado diversion fixed and they stopped the water. But it was dry there, but that's where the sea was. And so they had this big lake, inward sea. But what happens... When water goes in, but it never goes out. Does anyone know what happens? It becomes salty, right? You know, the, like the Great Salt Lake or the seas themselves. You know, we have that four, three and a half, four percent salt content. Well, the salt and sea, that's probably like 12, 15 percent where nothing can live in it because for over 100 years, water's been going in, been evaporating out, but never going out. There isn't that flow. And I think this is a good analogy for us that we need both an inlet. You know, if you have a lake, if it doesn't have water going in, eventually it will disappear. So it needs water going in. But it also needs an outlet to stay fresh, vibrant, and alive. If it doesn't have those two things, a freshwater lake will not survive. And I think this is a good analogy for us to really see what Paul is telling Timothy here in the fourth chapter of his second letter to Timothy. For it's necessary for us to take in the word of God, to drink in, to read his word. You know, that's why we preach it every Sunday, so we can drink, we can grow, we can learn of it. We bring in. That's important to form and shape us. But also... We also need something where it goes out, where we share from what we have received with others so that we're just not taking in a sponge, but we let go. For a sponge, you ever had those kitchen sink sponges that sit there and don't get wrung out? I notice they start to smell after a while if you don't wring them out. That's what happens. We become stagnant. We get briny. We don't look as good. We aren't as good versus the fresh, life-giving water. We need an inflow and we need an output as a people of God, as a church, to use our talents, our gifts, our creativity, our time, our resources for God's kingdom. This is what he's called us to be as God's people. For our benefit, as well as the blessing of others as well. This is what Paul has for Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is near the end of his life, as we've been saying here in 2 Timothy. And as he's soon to depart for heaven, God's taking him home, he wants to make sure that the good news of the gospel, the gospel message of Christ continues to go forward. And he says to Timothy that you are the one that needs to carry on with others the message of the gospel that I've taught you. It's not an optional activity. It needs to be to go forward. Because as we said, the gospel is, if we can get the next slide there, and the scriptures from infancy, I've known the scriptures, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And the next one, Patrick. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have the scriptures, that input into our life so that we would be what? Equipped for every good work. That outward, that service, that living for God. So we just don't take in and hold on like a sponge that never is wrung out. We're to use our gifts and our training for every good work. Keep going, Patrick. And As Paul wants us to, Timothy, know, he, so he wants us to know. Go to the next slide, Patrick. For the gospel means, we've been saying what? All right, good job. The gospel means good news. That's right. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of God who entered in our world in the person of Christ to live, to train us, to die by going to the cross, paying the price for our sins, shedding his blood so that we could find redemption and forgiveness in his name. This is good news that Paul received has passed on to Timothy. Timothy has passed on, has come to us, and we continue the process passing on to others. In the first chapter, we saw that we are to be those who guard the valuable deposit, that the gospel, the good news that we have in the scripture is this valuable deposit. We're to guard it, protect it, because it is of such great importance. And in the second chapter, we saw that we need to be those who endure even in times of difficulty and suffering. Because that is part of the process, the journey that's going to happen in the church of Christ through the years that Paul experienced and that the church has experienced and continued to experience today. And the last week, we saw being anchored in the Scripture, being anchored in the truth of God. That's the anchor where we reside and rest and have our strength as we are filled with God's Spirit, knowing His Word. And then today, out of that, we're to overflow our lives with what we have learned from the Gospel to proclaim the good news and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul is charging Timothy and charging us today to overflow with the good news. So we overflow, first of all, with our gifts. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and dead, I, in view of this appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. What Paul is saying is I give you this charge. As he finished that chapter 3, we saw that we're anchored and rooted in the scripture. And that out of that, we are to serve God and serve with this as, because we are prepared for good works, what God's called us to do. So in the presence of God, I give you this charge, this urge, urgent command to use your gifts and to serve God. Paul to Timothy gives him a serious and solemn direction. He wasn't a suggestion. Paul's not saying to Timothy, you know if it fits into your lifestyle, Timothy. If it, if it works for you, if it's not too uncomfortable. No, he says, I'm giving you this charge. The strongest language to use in a situation of, of volunteers. An emphatic, strong statement of responsibility charge charged Timothy to preach the word of God, to not let the word of God be un- unspoken, but to go forward. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, use your spiritual gifts for the work of Christ because this was the gift that God had given to Timothy through the laying on of Paul's hands. And to us, he's saying, use your gifts wherever God has gifted and called you. Whether it's preaching or teaching or something else, use your gifts Use the gifts you've received to serve God. And the word isn't a single word here, but the deposit. Use your gift to preach the word. He's talking about that good deposit, the the work of the gospel that he's supposed to do. And we notice in Paul's teaching there a sense of urgency because Paul knows that it's near his time to be called home to heaven. And it's amazing to see Paul hasn't lost any sense of that urgency in the years of his life. In all the decades of his serving God, he still has this urgency since he first encountered Christ on the Damascus Road 30-plus years beforehand. Just think about what dims over time. Let's say, think back, for those who are old enough to think back 30 years, what were your priorities and what was most important to you or what you really were interested involved in 30 years ago. Is that the same it is today? And as we think about that, some things change, don't they? I mean, some things are really big when you're when you're 12. You're really important, but when you're 42, what is important at 42 may not be the exact same thing was important at age 12, right? Because it changes. But Paul is saying the gospel is different from that because we need to have a sense of urgency. The gospel message never gets outdated. We never grow out of it. Or it doesn't become less important as we age. The gospel is like this ambulance. Did you see the ambulance up there? You know, when an ambulance comes screaming by, you think there's a sense of urgency there. Because they have found that in traumatic situations, if somebody gets care within the first 20 or 30 minutes, their chance of surviving is much greater than if it goes an hour or two or whatever to get the medical care and response that they need. That sense of urgency, which is why the ambulance go. And the question is, do we have that sense of urgency with the gospel? To realize that this isn't just one of many things in life. But this is a sense of urgency that we need to be committed to serving God. And what does Paul say? In season or out of season? In other words, the gospel isn't seasonal. It's not like, oh, we, you know for a couple months a year we do the gospel, then we put it aside and we have some fun and that. No, the gospel is an all-life thing because it has to do with what God has done for us on an eternal scale. Paul stresses this to Timothy and to us. Whether the time is favorable or not, use your gifts now. Not being rude or pushy, obnoxious, but using your gifts to share the love of Christ, even when it may not be convenient or it's uncomfortable. That urgency is vitally important. I remember a number of years ago when I was in high school, there was one fellow student we played on a basketball team together, and we would talk about all things, and I would share the good news of Christ with him. And we, he was very open to having conversations. And he always said, "You know, I've got a lot of living to do before I'm interested in that." You know, I've I've got. He, he was. In, he wanted to drink. He wanted to dabble in drugs. He wanted to fool around and do all kinds of things. He says, "You know, maybe when I get older, then I'll, I'll look at Jesus." But at this point in time, I, I just I've got a lot of living to do. And I try to encourage him. And said that's that's not a good approach. And I read, a number of years ago, I read his obituary in the paper, and I don't think he ever came to that point where he realized now is the time for redemption and salvation. There comes the point, if we don't have that sense of urgency that's important, it may pass us by and we may never get there. We may never come to understand Christ and what he's done for us and how we need to live for him. Because apart from Christ, delay leads to loss. We are to use our giftedness to proclaim Christ. Wherever we have the opportunity to use our gifts, whether we have the gifts like Paul or Timothy or whatever the specific gifts you have. If it's serving, let's serve. If it's administrating, administrate. If it's teaching, teach. If it's loving others and doing kind acts, do those. If it's giving and sharing, give. If it's being merciful, merciful. It's building things, build things for Christ. If it's technical, use your technological skills. If it's listening, then listen. Whatever it is, helping others. Then we fulfill what he says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God is calling us to do and to live out. That's why we're, we're grounded in the scripture so we have the foundation. And then we give out. We share this life-giving, fresh water of Christ With others. We use our gifts. We must not lose our sense of urgency for the gospel is important because the press of the day, the important things that are going on in life, which are often important kids' diapers, holidays, vacations, making ends meet, work, family, all good parts of life, as well as those times of struggle can cause us to lose the focus on the mandate of Christ. But within all of regular living, We should never lose. We should develop a sense of urgency to do the work of God because that is what stands forever. Use your gifts you've received to overflow them. Let them be an outlet for the good news of Jesus Christ, the gifts that you have. Well, not just your gifts. We've been giving gifts. Use them for the gospel. Secondly, it's through your grit. Go to the next slide. Overthrew through your grit. Not just your gifts. Some say, well, I have... I just have limited gifts. Well, everyone has gifts in some areas. But to use your gifts, we have to have some grit, some some stick to itiveness. some I'm going to do it even if I'm not the best at it. As we consider humanity and people's struggles, we realize that the struggles and the the issues haven't changed through the years and through the generations. What people wrestled with 2,000 years ago in terms of relationships and basic issues Technology may change, but the issues of life and people and relationships hasn't changed. People are struggling with the same things they struggled with years and generations ago. And Paul's day found that within this first generation of the church, people were already trying to start changing the message of the gospel. In other words, Paul, you think this, this message of Christ, the revelation of Jesus was within the first generation, the first 30, 40 years after Christ. And yet Paul is saying there's already false preachers and false teachers who are trying to shape and form the message of the gospel in a different way, to redefine the gospel message. And as humanity, you know, culture, the basic issues don't change, we find that's true among us today. What was true in Paul's day is true among us. And what are they doing? Often trying to make it more suitable to the hearers, to bend it to their desires and the will of the proclaimer. One senior saint mentioned to me a number of years ago said, we live in a culture that hates doctrine. That hates doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is just what we believe about Jesus. What is doctrine? We go to the next slide. Doctrine is what we believe about God. What we know is true in the scripture, it's not some, something in a dusty book, but it's the facts that we know our doctrine, that Jesus loves us, that he lived among us, that he died, was buried, and rose again and promised to return. That's doctrine of the Christian faith, of the gospel message. Doctrine is a truth we believe about God in his work. And here Paul warns us that losing this teaching, the message of the gospel, will cause all sorts of difficulties and troubles for us. There was a a teacher in his college class decided to do a survey saying, how do you feel about religion? How do you feel about it? And if you were going to come up with a new religion, what would it look like? So if we go to the next couple of slides there, here's what they said. If these college students, they came up and you've Everyone did their own thing, but when he summarized it, there were some basic things, six things they kind of highlighted of what the students would make their religion about. First of all, fun above faith. It's got to be fun, okay? Faith's fine, but fun's more important. Secondly, little doctrine. Eh, what we believe, what's true, we got to kind of push that to the side. So fun's in, truth is out. Third, few demands. Now, don't put any demands on me. I mean, we don't want that. It, it that that limits my fun. Goes on to the fourth one. Allergic to divinity. Oh, this God thing. Uh, do we really need a divine figure? Do we really need God in religion? So let's, let's kind of minimize that. Fifth, focus on the happiness now that goes along with the fun. How is this work for me so I'm happy and filled with what I want for now? And it's all about me. And lastly. Salvation's unnecessary. Eh, let's not talk about salvation. So, if you look about these things, how is that play with the gospel that Paul preached? It sounds quite a bit different, doesn't it? These are two different things. But this is the mindset of the world, and not just the culture we live in, certainly it is, but of cultures all around the world and cultures through the ages. Paul was experiencing some of these things in his day in the first very first generation. And why is this important for us? Because Paul is telling us we need to watch our life and doctrine closely. So we don't fall into the error of these ways and this thought that would undermine our ability to know the essence the essence of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and lose his power and lose his promise to us. What does the Scripture say? Verses 3 to 5, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. What they want to hear. Sadly, wow, is that true even in the evangelical church today. There's so much pressure to have it be all about what's fun, what's exciting. Not that there's anything wrong with fun, but fun has to be a byproduct of what's more important when it comes to how we live our faith out of Christ. And we see the pressures and the people giving in to the mindset of the world and pulling us away from the gospel and the doctrines of Christ. And in that The only one who's going to be victorious is the evil one, Satan, to deceive people and draw people away from Christ. But for us, we are to be people who what? Who keep our heads in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, discharge the duties of your ministry. In other words, use your gifts and use your grit. Hold on to it, endure, press on. Even when it's difficult and when the world around you has a different thought. We love them, but we continue to speak the truth in Christ. Maybe an example. If there's a three-year-old who gets hold of a, a uh, lighter and does this, as a parent, what are you going to do? Are you going to laugh and go, oh, Johnny, he's so silly, and then go to the other room and read a book? No, no. He may burn down the house. So what are you going to do? You're going to take it away and say, you can't do that. You're going to tell him the truth even though he, he's not going to like it because it's for his benefit and for everyone's security in other words we speak the truth in love even when it's hard that's really what we're doing we're taking the lighters away from the kids who want to burn down the world and help them see that this isn't the best way to live our society is really similar these days to this three-year-old with a lighter who only want to do play with what's fun now we're disregarding the future consequences And the society is unfortunately too confused and maybe immature to know the difference. Jesus has come to shape us, not for us to try to shape his message, but for him to shape us into what God who loves us, who made us, and is our future, wants us to be. We are to be people who have the head the head and the heart go together. What we believe and what is truth is important. We hold on to that as well as hold on to what is love. So we speak the truth in love. We speak, proclaim, have an urgency for it. Not disengaging spirituality. Some want to disengage spirituality from doctrine. But we must realize that the good news of Christ, the doctrine, what we believe, is the foundation for building a spirituality that is pleasing to God. We can't break those two apart. We can't separate them. For if we separate them, this will morph into something that's not pleasing to God. We are those who watch your life and doctrine clo- closely. For we are those who live in this culture. And if you look around, have you seen situations where people only want to hear what's comfortable to hear, what their itching ears want to hear? We've all seen that, haven't we? Where people just say, oh, I just, I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear what, what, what pleases me. And that doesn't mean we have to just flood ourselves with bad news, but we need to listen to the truth and let the truth shape and form us and not put our fingers in our ears and go, ah, la, 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 I don't want to hear the truth. Because we, the truth is that which ultimately sets us free, for it's how Christ. And his message comes into our lives, into our hearts. Watch your life and doctrine closely. We need to be very cautious and careful of that. Some of the unsound doctrines proclaimed and espoused today were holiness, where God tells us that be holy for I am holy. Holiness, who cares about that, we hear. Sin. Sin Does sin really exist? Let's not talk about sin. Let's push it aside. That's not, that's not really a big deal. Let's exalt humanity. Let's downplay God. Us as the judge, not God. Scriptures. These are just ancient words. Why would I listen to that? Judgment. There'll be no judgment. Jesus, he's just like the others. Sexuality. God. Ah, We don't pay attention to what God says about that. Everyone's going to go to heaven, so what difference does it make? Let's live for today, for there is no tomorrow. All these messages are lies, deceits, unsound doctrine, things that come from culture and from teachers who are trying to shape it, getting people to listen to them rather than listen to God. And in all of it, what it is, is an exaltation of humanity and a downplay of divinity of God. When what we see that God is the great one and we are his creation. And as we seek and follow him, then we become what God has made us to be. living by faith underneath his guidance. Good doctrine is the gospel truth. Bad doctrine is me-centered thinking. If it's me, human-centered thinking, that's going to be bad doctrine. When it's God-centric and coming from him, and out of them comes the proper relationship that we are to have one to another. For God loves us. The reason God loves us, he made us, he loves us, and he sent Jesus to die for us. But we can't lose those essential aspects of it, otherwise we lose the doctrine and what God calls us to do. And so for us, we are to be those who press on, who endure hardships and and whatever place of life we are, so we don't turn away from truth into myth. Through our grit, endure, persevere, push on with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is a message that will prevail. So don't give up through your gifts, and through your grit, overflow with the good news of Jesus Christ, this message we have, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we are equipped and then serving in these ways. So as we do that, you know what we're doing? We're spreading that fresh, life-giving water in a world that's content with briny mix of death. We're sharing that refreshing, living water with others. Well, thirdly, we want to overflow through God's faithfulness. And as we see this, remember, okay, we press on, but we do it not in our own strength, but in the power of God who loves us, who fills us with his spirit and empowers us to live for him by faith. So you don't have to be overwhelmed saying, my gifts are limited, I don't have the strength to do this. No, the spirit of God, his faithfulness, God's faithfulness will help us. Look at what Paul says in verse 8 as he talks about his finishing up. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. That crown of righteousness. In other words, that crown of eternal life, which those who live by faith, through life, will receive. Paul says it's there for me, and it's there for you as you are emboldened and strengthened by the Spirit within us. Remember in the first chapter, it says that we have not given a spirit of fear, but of, of what? Of power, love, and self-control. We are filled with the Spirit in God's power to live and serve Him in this way. God has gifted you. Use those gifts And let God accomplish his purposes through you. The sovereign God will work in your life and his work in us to do his purposes. As Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're charged to go on with the gospel. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit within us. So proclaim the gospel and carry out the ministry that God has called you to. Because this world, people need to hear the truth. As Paul pours it out in his life, to Timothy, and down to us. There will be victory. Think about Paul. Paul here is near the end of his life, in jail. He's going to his death. And in the Roman mind, Nero as the the emperor, Emperor Nero, Paul receives condemnation and death. But in his death, what does Paul say he receives? He receives life and the crown. As people need to hear the truth, there's the crown. If we can find that one, that we go to the Olympics, Patrick, there we go, thanks. The crown of righteousness. You know, if you win a medal in the Olympics, gold, silver, bronze, you get, you get this medal, something that endures. But for us, we receive the crown of life for life lived by faith in Jesus Christ. The crown of eternal life, which Paul says, that's what I strive for and I will receive in store for me what I can have, receive for eternity and never lose. And this is for all of us. Gold medal would be great, but the crown of life makes a gold medal look like a penny in your pocket. The crown of life is that which God gives you for all eternity Saying, you are my child who has lived faithfully in me. Receive this and enjoy eternal life in heaven with the master forever. Not just for Paul, but for all who long for his coming. The Lord delivered and rescued Paul. We look, go down to verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly, heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what God promised. That's what God's doing. He's doing that in the church in Ukraine and in Russia, in China, in the different places around the world where there's so much persecution of the church. God is bringing his people safely home, and he's doing the same in us. This is what God has for me and for you, that we are to be people who share our gifts. All of us have some gifts, skills, and talents in life. And we're to press on in using those as good servants of the Lord, knowing that it's through his power filling us up, where we can overflow with that good news, the gospel message, through our actions and our words, so that the world can hear, can feel and experience the gospel that has changed and transformed our life. We receive by being rooted and anchored in the scripture. And then we give out through using our gifts and serving God to proclaim the gospel in deed and in word for his glory. That's what God has called you and me to be. Let us be those who are faithful and overflowing with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ now and forever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this good news. Lord, may we continue to develop, grow, and be transformed by this good news. And Lord, as we are changed May it overflow out of our lives. Lord, through things like Ruby's Pantry, through helping the neighbor next door, by sharing with those who are struggling the good news of Christ and what he can do in their lives so that this message of Christ continues to build and your kingdom goes forward. And we look forward to that day when we will share in it together in your kingdom. Until then, may may we be faithful individually and as a church here at Bethel to to do your work as your church For the gospel's sake, in Jesus we pray these things. Amen.